Welcome back to the Internet Podcast. Today, we're talking all about EAA, your adventure Oshkosh with Dick Kempinski. Roll it! the Aeronaut Podcast. Today we have a uh, special guest from none other than the Experimental Aircraft Association. Dick, I forgot to ask you how to pronounce your last name. <laughs> it's Nipinski. First, Nipinski. First K is silent. Okay. Yep. Okay. There we go. Um, Dick, thank you for joining me today. Sure. Great to be here. Thanks a lot for the invitation. Yep. So if you want to, let's go back. Let's go back to the beginning. And if you can sort of tell me how you got interested in aviation and then how you sort of pursued that career path. Well, it's uh, kind of a circular way around how I got here. It uh, As a kid, I was always one of those kids when playing baseball, an airplane would go over. I'd miss the fly ball because I was looking at the airplane instead. <laughs> and uh, we lived right on the flight path of a small airport in central Wisconsin where a lot of corporate jets flew in and out. Uh, one of the paper companies, in fact, had uh, one that had a yellow underbelly and we call it the yellow belly jet that went by. And uh, so that's kind of where it got started. And then I went into broadcast journalism uh, out of school and did that for a number of years. And then back in the early 90s, there was an opportunity. I had a contract ending and an opportunity came up here at EAA to join the public relations staff. So I did that and started in 1992. And then after that, uh, started taking ground school, which they offer here as part of EAA employment and then taking flight lessons. So I've been flying since 1996 and uh, it's all meshed into something that's been uh, wild and wonderful and very eventful and very satisfying mm-hmm. all alike. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I can definitely relate. If I'm playing or um, the softball league I play in is right next to the airport that I work at. <laughs> so whenever a jet goes over, it's always Austin, pay attention, yeah. <laughs> pay attention. <laughs> Well, we used to say so, that too, that, uh, you know, we had had a softball team here with the EAA crew for a number of years and we got uh-huh. to a championship game one time and uh, we were telling ourselves, you know, if the opponents really wanted to screw us up, they'd send unique airplanes flying over about every five <laughs> minutes and we'd be completely yep. distracted by it all. They didn't do mm-hmm. that. We won the game and the title. So we'll take that too. <laughs> yeah. Just send a couple warbirds over. Yep, exactly. I'll, yeah. <laughs> all right. So. Can you sort of tell me, like, what what do you do? What's your job entail? Sort of what's an average day in your life like? Like, what what sort of projects and things are you working on? Sure. You know, officially, I'm director of communications here at EAA. It's a role that I've had now for about uh, 10 to 12 years. And mostly it deals with all sorts of communications. It uh, deals with dealing with the media, for instance, not only throughout the course of the year, But during AirVenture that week, we get anywhere from 700 to 900 journalists on the grounds here at Oshkosh during that week. And so it's um, wrangling them, everything from registering them before the event to making sure they have their credentials, uh, to doing news conferences throughout the entire week. Uh, Then throughout the year, there's writing news releases. There's doing a lot of interviews with the media on Mm -hmm. everything uh, from uh, home-built aircraft to aircraft accidents to 
uh, things that we do at Oshkosh to getting people interested in our museum and our education programs and so forth, and also working with our staff as far as internal communications, things they should know, and so forth. And since I've been here so long, a lot of it is I've become the island of misfit questions, too, in a lot of ways, <laughs> that uh, if somebody says, boy, you know, who would know what happened on this date back in 2002? Oh, yeah, Dick would know that. So, you know, I end up being kind of the, the in-house expert on some of those things. But it's a lot of fun. The typical day, I wish I could describe what the typical day was like because it there really isn't one. Um, you know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, I'll be going through and seeing how the media is covering aviation and EAA specifically during the course of the day. A um, lot of email and calls and, and those type of things answering everything from phone to email to text, texts and so forth, uh, doing Zoom interviews just like this, uh, you know, for mm -hmm. podcasts and with the media. Uh, a lot of media now use Zoom as a, a way to do interviews all the time. So right. uh, very getting very used to that as well here in the office. So those type of things uh, and working with every other department here, whether it is our Air Venture uh, office for organizing, whether it's our editorial department, uh, our government advocacy team, uh, our flight operations, all of them are areas that I get to touch. So it's really nice about this job is you get to meet everybody in the organization at one time or another and get to meet a lot of members and leaders of EA chapters and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you talked about Air Venture and that's sort of what I want to focus on for a little bit. Um, so what what sort of things like throughout the year, obviously right now we're leading up to Oshkosh 2022. Um, what sort of things are you doing throughout the year to promote Oshkosh or to start working on like, what do you do? What is a, what does the year before Oshkosh look like for you? You know, the planning for air venture really starts the day that we finish the air venture the year before, uh, uh -huh. because at that point we, before our volunteers and, chairman of the various areas depart. We talk with them to find out what worked, what didn't work, whether that's an aircraft parking, concessions, admissions, auto parking, all of those different things that go on, the seaplane base, the warbirds, the vintage, the ultralights, all of them. So we end yeah. up talking with them a lot uh, to find out what worked and what we can improve on. And then we start gaining feedback. And so for about a month, we'll take in the feedback from an air venture that had just finished and go through that and find out, okay, where are the spots that need improvement mostly? And so we'll work on that. And then come in October, we'll start getting the machine back rolling again for the next upcoming year. Uh, start selling tickets, putting out those first announcements. If there are any announcements that need to come out early to get people excited about coming to Oshkosh, we'll do that. For instance, this last November, we announced that the U.S. Air Force is going to use Oshkosh as one of its major civilian shows to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the U.S. Air Force. And that's right, coming up yeah. next summer. So, uh, you know, those are type of things we start working on. And we talk with airplane owners. Hey, are you talking about bringing this airplane in? Or how's that restoration coming? Or uh, do you have that finished? Can you bring a couple of airplanes in here? And all of those type of conversations go on. Um, our People go out to the International Council of Air Shows convention in early December out in Las Vegas and talk to all the air show performers and start lining them up for the upcoming summer. So those type of things take place. Uh, this time of year, I've got a lot of we've got a lot of ideas that are about 75 percent of the way there late January. OK, mm -hmm. which one of those 
10 to 20 ideas are really going to push forward and become major themes at this year's convention. You know, those are some of the things yeah. that we work on. So it's really very diverse. By March, I'm starting to register media to come back in once again. And then the whole rhythm starts up. And it's all those things from uh, how do we get press headquarters ready to uh, what airshow performers are going to be here, what changes are there in parking and camping and so forth uh, that we have to publicize. Uh, all of those things start to take place. And so there is a rhythm to it each year. Uh, it becomes more and more frenzied as we get closer. And we just crossed the halfway point here about a week ago between six months since last year's air venture and six months till opening day in 2022. So uh, mm -hmm. we're past the halfway point right now and uh, starting to get ready for that opening day on July 25th. Yeah. So moving into um, like the week of air venture, I'm sure it's probably pretty hectic for you. Um, as you know, dealing like you mentioned, dealing with press, mm -hmm. all the last minute, like even my experience working at Yankee Air Museum's air show, there's just you know, there's a whole bunch of things that will come up that need to be taken care of. So, what's it like for you? Like, do you have an opportunity to tour the show when it's going on, or are you mostly working behind the scenes on things? Uh, yes, is probably the answer to that. <laughs> okay. um, it, a lot of it is behind the scenes because there are always a million and one things to get done. You know, I kid people sometimes that uh, every morning when I get on the grounds, which is usually around 4.30 or 5 o'clock, because that's when the TV morning shows are coming in from the local TV right. stations. And I get there and I look at my schedule and I laugh because anything I'm going to do is not going to match anything on this schedule. <laughs> and so then you go out and, and start doing that. But uh, so you do have a lot of things that pop up throughout the day uh, that that come up, uh, you know, media. When you have 800 media on the grounds, for instance, they're all going to have questions. They have ideas yeah. uh, and simple things from is the Internet working inside press headquarters to where can I find the owner of a P-51 Mustang that I'm looking for. Okay, all of these things mm -hmm. we try to answer. Um, the advantage of that is you get to tour the grounds while doing your job. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I've, I'm fortunate enough to have one of the cutoff Volkswagens that we have about 35 of them that are used here on the grounds. And I have one of those. So I'm, I'm pretty much end-to-end -end on the grounds throughout the entire day. And I'll be up in our maintenance hangar on the north end uh, through the campground and all the way down in ultralights and beyond on the south mm -hmm. end during the course of a day. Uh, and it's exciting. And part of the reason I really like the job a lot is because it is exciting. It's not the same thing. You're not sitting in an office looking out a window at seeing things happening. You're seeing the things happening as they occur. And, you know, that may be um, one of the most interesting ones came about 15 years ago when Sir Richard Branson was here. And a part of my job was to make sure he got from the aircraft ramp over to the news conference we had for the media. And so I came up and kind of pointed the way and said, Sir Richard, it's time to go. We can go this way. He took my hand and shook it and said, you know, it's really great to be here at Oshkosh. Thanks so much for everything you do. And somebody snapped a photo of that moment who just hmm. happened to do it. And, you know, I, I was going, well, that's kind of cool. You know, yeah. those type <laughs> of things happen and those kind of cool moments happen. And uh, to have that uh, as a job during the summer is really a blessing that you, you most people don't get to expect. And you, you mentioned Yankee yeah. Air Museum, and we've had a number of their airplanes here, including right. Yankee Lady and so forth. 
And uh, it's great to have them here. And you get to see the people when they're at Oshkosh and they're fired up to be here. This is oh, yeah. where you yeah. share. You can see, you know, I've got the screen behind me on the call right now about the um, North 40 parking area at Oshkosh. Mm -hmm. And to have that and all the people coming here and tell their airplane stories, uh, it's just fun. And for a week, yeah. it is absolutely hectic. It is, you know, it never stops. It keeps going. And by the time you get off the grounds at night, you're tired. You want to go home to sleep for those four or five hours so you can come mm -hmm. and do it again the next morning. Uh, yeah. But it is something that is very unique. And I often tell the first year people here what we do on these grounds at Oshkosh, nobody else does to this size any place else in the world. So right. you know, think yeah. of it as the Olympics, as the Super Bowl, all of those things. We do that every year in Oshkosh and, and people around the world who are in aviation know that event simply by the name Oshkosh. And mm -hmm. uh, that's something pretty special and something that uh, we realize and don't take for granted at any time. Yeah. Yeah. It's referred to as the mother of all air shows, the <laughs> Super Bowl. You know, it's just it's crazy. And uh, yeah. So you mentioned um, your experience with Sir Richard Branson, but are there any other experiences that were especially cool, interesting, or just stuck out over the years that you've been working the show? You know, one of the ones that pop immediately to mind is 1994. Uh, we invited all of the Apollo astronauts here for the 25th anniversary of the first moon landing. And out of the 25 who were alive at the time, 15 of them accepted the invitation. Wow. And so we had astronauts from every single one of the Apollo missions. And I remember on the run-up to that show, um, our group of the 15, each one of us took five of them to make sure they had the hotel rooms and the cars and the tickets and the stuff for the families and all of those incidental items that go along with mm -hmm. this that make the logistics work. And so I'm sitting at my desk one day and the phone rings and I pick it up and it says, hi, this is Neil Armstrong returning your call. And instantly, the first thing that goes through my mind is, you know, this just doesn't happen at most jobs you're at <laughs> or, yeah. or the first man who walked on the moon is calling you um, mm -hmm. to make sure that he's got his hotel room and his car and everything else. Uh, you know, those type of things occurred. And then to have them here that evening, uh, even NASA couldn't get that big of a collection of ast Apollo astronauts for their 25th mm -hmm. anniversary. And we had oh, them wow. here in Oshkosh because all of them at the time were pilots. They came out of the yeah. military, the test pilot background and so forth. So that was phenomenal. And many of those astronauts uh, have become very close friends to EAA, uh, Jim Lovell and Frank Borman uh, mm -hmm. and those type of people have, have come in here. And, and a couple of years ago, uh, we had seven of them back here again for what they regarded right. as probably the last major reunion that they would have. And they oh, wow. had it at Oshkosh uh, because a lot of those astronauts are up into their 90s by now. And so yeah. it's, um, it is a, a very unique thing. Um, had a chance to be on stage and running news conferences with a lot of different people. Um, everybody from you know, Gary Sinise to Jim Lovell, as I mentioned before, to Harrison Ford, to um, Morgan Freeman, who is a pilot, and right. he was he was here one year, and we said, you know, Mr. Freeman, it's it really probably would be if we could do twenty minutes with the media 
then we could tell them the rest of the week to leave you alone because they had their <laughs> shot to talk with you. Yep. And he said, yeah. I'll do that. And so I spent time with him before we did it and on stage with him. And I will tell you that Morgan Freeman voice is his voice. That's what comes out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the delightful time we spent with him and he was enjoying it very much. But those type of circumstances, you think from, you know, a kid from Wisconsin to be able to intersect with those people or working with uh, the people from Disney when they premiered the movie Planes here a week before the national release back in 2013. Uh, you know, those are the famous people, but just hearing the stories of regular people who bring their airplanes here and talk about their background and, and find those kind of things out. Uh, that's what makes it special. And, you know, mm -hmm. every, every year, this event writes its own story. And when we start, we don't know what that story is going to be. And we'll tell you at the end what it was like. You know, last year we had a great event bouncing back from a year off because of COVID. Um, we had a big storm in the middle of it that fortunately went around Oshkosh and mm -hmm. left us alone in the middle of that week. Um, but we had to bump the night air show. And so there's a whole list of logistics that go along with that. Uh, but those things, uh, the ups and downs, the ever-changing atmosphere uh, and so forth always makes it interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot, a lot about Oshkosh since I got involved in aviation. Um, never been, but maybe someday it'll happen. Well, we're going to have to fix that. That's uh, you're going to have to get here because uh, <laughs> yep. it, it is, you know, it, it's dreamland. If you're in aviation, it is a place where uh, you can come, you can see those airplanes up close. Uh, you know, having had the chance to walk under the wing and into the Concorde uh, when it yeah. was here uh, back in the eighties and nineties, you know, th those type of things. And, and now suddenly, you know, there's an F-35 and an F-22 parked next to each other on our ramp. And you can walk up mm -hmm. fairly close to it. There are guys with um, rifles who say you can't get too close to it. But uh, mm -hmm. other than that, um, you know, you can get right up to it and take photos of it and so forth to see that. And, you know, that's just fun. And the people who yeah. bring it here, um, those airplanes here, are enthused to be here as well. And yeah. and that makes it special. Yeah. Yeah. There's... um. You mentioned the Yankee Air Museum that I work at. We usually send, or our P-17 will come up, and it's always a fight for all the extra seats on that airplane when they come <laughs> up because everybody at the museum wants to go to Oshkosh. Oh, so, yeah. If you get a free ride to Oshkosh, that's even better. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, it, it yep. is, you know, it's, um, you know, we know people often can't make it every year. And so that's why it's, it's so important for us to pay attention and make each year as special as we can, as far as an experience, because mm -hmm. for some people, especially those who come from overseas, it may be their one and only time that they ever come here. You know, yeah. it's, it's like, if you're going, you know, you, you're going to the Kentucky Derby or the Indy 500 or an NFL game or whatever, and you know, you're just going to go once you, mm -hmm. you want that experience to be memorable in a good way. And so it's very important to us to work to make that experience as memorable as we can, which is difficult because everybody comes to Oshkosh with their own expectations. It's yeah. not that, um, let's say, if you go to an NFL game, you go there with the expectation that, okay, the two teams will play and I hope my team wins. You mm -hmm. know that, And that's for the majority of the fans in that stadium. So it's a shared expectation. Here the expectations 
are so different. They're as different mm -hmm. as the people who come here, depending if you like new technology or the warbirds or the vintage aircraft, or you want to go to the forums, or you want to hang out at the seaplane base, whatever it is. There are all these different expectations, and we have to meet all of them. And that's a challenge, but you know, one we accept and, and one that uh, we usually pull off pretty well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I would say for sure, either that or you're doing a really good job really good job of making it look like it so <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it feels like that it does you know yeah. because you're yep. you're you're bouncing around so many places you go okay you know i hope this works and most of the time it does mm -hmm. yeah so the other thing that you mentioned um being a part of is working on the tours for ea's different um airplanes that they have mm -hmm. can you talk sort of like what goes into that because i know from personal experience um here at Yankee Air museum like what goes into making the B-25 that I work on going around. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, like, what's the sort of the process the EAA uses? Well, first of all, it's it's maintaining the aircraft. And as you know from the B-25, you're dealing with 75 or 80-year-old airplanes here. Yep. Uh, with the, yeah. the case of our Ford Trimotor, you're dealing with a 90-year-old airplane. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a heck of a lot of maintenance that goes on with that. And, and that's number one. How do you make sure the airplane is running well, is safe, uh, meets the expectations, again, of what you want and what the passengers want. And so maintaining that, for instance, our B-17 right now is is sidelined because we're working on a, a fitting it, it, that mm -hmm. we we found some problems with down in Florida. And, you know, it's, it's an easy fix, but it's not easy to get to. And so you've got to take the right. wing off, the engine nacelles, the landing gear, everything else has to come off. And we figured, well, while we're in there, let's fix some other little things that we've wanted to fix for a while. So it becomes a longer project. So first of all, getting the airplane ready to go. Uh, one advantage we have is we work very closely with our 900 EAA chapters to say, would you like to host the airplane? And it'll mm -hmm. be a fundraiser for your chapter as well as a way to get the airplane there. And so we start getting interested chapters, uh, sometimes six months before, starting to line them up and say, okay, where are the chapters? So how can we start to create a tour that makes sense, that you're not flying 500 miles between tour stops and going all over the place and back and forth? So trying to set up the dates of a tour that will have a natural mm -hmm. flow to it. Um, for instance, uh, we're leasing the Liberty Tri-Motor right now from the Liberty Museum uh, over in the Cleveland area. And you know, out there, it's in Florida, so you're trying to set up stops in Florida, working with the Florida chapters at this time of year to, to figure out where the tour stops will be. And then getting um, the pilots who fly it and making sure they're checked out in that type of airplane, whether it's our B-17, our B-25, or the tri-motors, making sure they're checked out in that and have the latest update to their piloting skills. Uh, having the tour maintenance officers who not only handle the maintenance of the airplane when it's at a tour stop, but everything from ticket sales to concessions to odd questions that may come up during the course of it. Uh, working with our marketing department to make sure that we have that. Uh, we've got the advanced publicity ready for the chapters to use and mm -hmm. uh, help publicize the event there. Um, so all of those things go into it before the airplane ever leaves Oshkosh. Uh, to make sure that we have it, you, you have to think of it kind of like a um, a rock tour. You know, you, you've yeah. got a you've got a band tour going on here in many ways that you're going from city to city and trying to make a great experience happen again and again and again and again 
over 30 stops over the course of a year. So uh, there's a lot of logistics involved. There's a lot of expense involved, a lot of paperwork involved, because it seems every airport has a little bit different paperwork when you come to it. Uh, mm -hmm. So all of those things, you know, where is the fuel coming from? If the weather is bad, is there a hangar we can park the airplane in? All of those mm -hmm. things to become part of what you do planning for the tour before the airplane ever leaves or lands at the first tour stop. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say a real advantage, at least that I've seen with the AA is you have the local chapter base, you know, so you can go from chapter to chapter, airport to airport, whereas other organizations like Yankee, we're looking for specific events, specific, you know, air shows that we'll fly to. And you don't get the opportunity to reach as many people or have, I would say, like you can't reach more people than EAA will on one tour going all over the place because of that, the local chapter network. So, yeah, the chapters are very important and uh, they are really our grassroots throughout the entire year, whether it's for uh, the aircraft tour stops, whether it's for young Eagles rallies, whether it's support for local pilots who might be building or restoring an aircraft. Uh, the local mm -hmm. chapters are really the heartbeat in the hometowns that make things happen. Those are the people who are passionate about aviation in their own areas. And we're so happy that they can gather as a chapter and work together on things. It's really a, a situation where the, the sum of all the parts together is greater than what you could do separately. And yep. uh, when they get together, we've got so many incredible chapters out there who do things throughout the entire year and come up with ideas that we've often incorporated here at headquarters so other chapters can use them as well. And uh, we have those chapter leaders come to Oshkosh a few times a year, and we get together and, and talk about things that can benefit all the chapters out there and, and work with them. And those leadership academies are very important uh, to make sure that we get the ideas, we hear what's happening out on the field, and we can send the chapter leaders back out enthused about what they can do at their home airports once again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as like the tour is progressing, is there anything you're doing from a public affairs standpoint as to publicity or is that more handled by a separate department? Uh, the marketing department handles a lot of that. We'll, we'll set out a lot of the stuff early. Uh, many times we will get calls from local media in hometowns who may have talked to the chapter people, but they want a perspective on a national level. Uh, what's mm -hmm. it like to send a 75-year-old bomber out on a tour uh, throughout the entire country? Uh, tell us about this airplane. Uh, what's its history? Uh, things like that. And so we can give that national flavor. Uh, there may be times, you know, unfortunately, last year when the B-17, uh, suddenly we had to call it off the tour because of the, the maintenance issues. And so then you have to reach out to all of the communities coming up and the aviation media as well and tell people what's happening with it and why it, mm -hmm. it's not able to tour. Uh, so those type of things, it's, um, there's preparation on the front end and then there's the 24 seven real time things that happen as the tour moves forward. Uh, the best thing that can happen is much like when you fly an airplane, how was the flight? It was great. It was uneventful. And so, mm -hmm. you know, eventful is usually yeah. not good. Uh, you, you, want, mm -hmm. you want things to happen as you expect them to happen, which would be positive. If it becomes eventful, then it, 
boy, there's probably some stuff you wish wouldn't have happened in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So going back and like, I can definitely relate from that from a, from the standpoint of being a person, a maintainer mechanic who goes along with an airplane on a tour, you know, Mm -hmm. when it's eventful or your pilot lands and you walk up to him after the flight and you say, so how was the flight? And he goes, well, yeah. <laughs> and you go and you go, oh, shoot. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to go over that today. Yeah. And but, that's part of it. Yeah. It's um. yeah, uh, because we're dealing with vintage aircraft and oh, yeah. they're wonderful. And you know, we're we're so happy that we have the opportunity to fly them, that the Yankee Air Museum has the opportunity to take that living history out to people. And we're able to do that because it, airplanes are meant to be flown. They're not meant to be stuck into a museum and have people parade by them. Uh, it's so much better to hear the sound of that engine, to walk up to them, uh, to, you know, as we do still on a limited basis, have some of the veterans of World War II with us who can talk about their experiences. You know, sadly, you know, time marches on for everybody and we're losing more and more of those vets. You know, I was yeah. saddened to see, um, General Charles McGee passed away here just about a week ago or so. Yep. Uh, one of the recently, last yeah. Tuskegee, yeah, one of the last Tuskegee Airmen. Um, you know, those type of people are leaving us, but we still have an opportunity to have some of them with us um, to hear those stories about those guys who at the time were 18, 19, 20 years old and getting shot at in these airplanes and commanding these airplanes and, and doing very, very important missions in these airplanes. And mm-hmm. To have that history with us is very important. To take that out yeah. and say what this airplane represents and what it means and what the backstory is of the airplane and the mission behind it. Uh, that's, that's so important to do, whether it's from us, whether it's from Yankee, whether it's from anybody who goes out there, the CAF, whoever's flying those airplanes. Uh, it's important to have them out there. It's important for people to be able to connect with it in their own hometowns, which we do on these tours. And that's a big part of what we do is building aviation and growing participation in aviation on all its levels, whether it's flying, whether it's building, restoring, or just being around airplanes to understand the fascination that people like us have with flight. Yeah. Yeah. And it's truly incredible to be a part, you know, to be a part of an organization that has those airplanes and to be a part of it. So Sort of looking back, um, everybody has a couple of good hangar flying stories, right? <laughs> so can you tell me a couple of your stories, maybe experiences that have stuck out at Oshkosh or otherwise that have just been really cool or fascinating? Yeah, it's uh, uh, when anybody learns to fly, and I, and I tell people this who are interested in learning to fly, I said, it is one of the great achievements of your life, um, you know, other than getting married and the birth of my kids. Um, you know, there, there are a few other things that you look back and go, wow, what a moment. Um, and learning to fly and earning that pilot certificate. And I always am very careful to use the word earning because you do earn it. And Mm -hmm. as any pilot will tell you, once you earn that certificate, now it's your license to go learn some more. And, and that is really a part of it. Um, you know, a couple of the, you know, first of all, during Oshkosh, people must say, boy, you must get to fly a lot of cool things. Well, no, I get to watch a lot of cool stuff fly uh, because we're usually mm-hmm. so busy on the ground, just making sure the event is running properly that 
um, we don't get much of a chance to fly much of anything. I think it's probably been 20 years since I've actually been up in anything airborne in Oshkosh. Um, mm-hmm. I'll let the others fly at that time. But, you know, personally, a couple of them, uh, I always remember a couple of the stories. First, everybody remembers their first solo. Um, I remember it was on my birthday and uh, went up and did the three passes. And I was in a Piper Cherokee 140 and I landed the first time and I forgot to retract the flaps and um, took off. And I was amazed how fast the airplane got off the ground. I thought, okay, there's no instructor in it. That must be it. And suddenly, you know, I'm going almost, it feels like you're in an elevator going straight up. And then I reached mm-hmm. down and went, oh, the flaps. And then I remember the instructor said, if you ever take off with the flaps, don't just slam them back into position all at once because then, you know, you'll get out of whack with the airplane. So oh, ease yeah. them back one notch at a time. And so I did that. And so, um, and everything was fine after that, but I learned it there on my second go round in a solo. Okay. There's something to remember. Um, mm-hmm. my long cross solo cross country, uh, this particular Cherokee had a little gap in the door. If you didn't close the door quite right, it left a little gap. And so I had all my checkpoints on a piece of paper sitting in the passenger seat next to me when I took off. Oh, no. And about 10 <laughs> miles out of town, suddenly I just happened to look over on the seat and I saw the paper start to flutter and suddenly, whoosh, and it went, of course, <laughs> it went right out that crack yep. of the door. I figured yep. there was some farmer in central Wisconsin suddenly got a, a whole face full of a piece of paper with checkpoints on it while <laughs> driving his tractor someplace. And, um, but, you know, I had my watch, I had the chart. This was so far back that you use paper charts at the time. And, um, but I could use the tick marks to get where I needed to go. And I knew mm-hmm. what the airplane or the airport looked like. And it was right on the Mississippi River. So I couldn't miss it by much. And so it <laughs> ended up being, uh, again, after that kind of non eventful. Um, one flight I always enjoy was I was going down to a, a Packer Bear game back in the late 90s after earning my certificate and had the opportunity to land at Miggs, at Miggs Field, and uh, came in and it was early evening. Sun was just going down. It was in late October. And the the air was just perfectly calm. I I think the winds were like out of one seven at at two or something like that. I mean, it was a perfect evening. And so we flew the BFR corridor into Chicago and I am a fairly new pilot at the time. And I am looking around going, man, you know, you know, where, where are these big towers that uh, keep showing up on the chart that say, you know, watch out for that as you're flying the lakeside corridor. And then I suddenly realized, yeah, that's the John Hancock tower. Okay, fine. You know, and realized <laughs> it's a building. Yep. It's not a radio tower. It is a yeah. building. Um, but to come in, Navy Pier was all lit up in downtown Chicago that night. So I flew oh, wow. the approach right over the Ferris wheel and, um, and the MIGS tower said, you know, you can come straight in. I mean, you just, we don't have much traffic right now. Come on straight in. Okay. And I remember MIGS sitting out there and looking at the glide slope lights and it looked like an aircraft carrier sticking out in Lake Michigan. I mean, to me, that's what it mm-hmm. looked like and uh, landed there. And so I always said, instead of driving four hours into Chicago traffic to get to the hotel downtown before the night before the game. I flew an hour, 25 minutes, landed at the airport, parked the airplane, secured it down, got into a cab. 10 minutes later, I'm at the hotel. I said, this is the way to do these kind of things. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's such a tragedy that Miggs isn't there anymore 
for a wide variety of reasons, all of them bad, but it's, um, you know, MIGS isn't there anymore. Uh, but I do have that in the logbook. And that's one that always sticks with me to say, I had that opportunity um, to land there and to experience that. And as a fairly new pilot at the time, to have that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to me, every time you go flying, it's something special. Yeah. You know, I had a chance to ride along when we were doing the, uh, we flew the B-17 for the National Anthem over Lambeau Field in a Green Bay Packer game, probably about six, seven, you know, it was 2013, in fact. Um, and so um, I had the chance to do that when we were doing some of the, the timing runs to make mm -hmm. sure that you arrive over Lambeau Field right at the end of the National Anthem. And then, yeah. you know, you're not too early, you're not too late, and you're communicating with the guy on the edge of the stands. And, and doing that and flying multiple times over Lambeau Field in Green Bay uh, from, you know, two miles, five miles, 10 miles out to make sure we had the timing correct. Uh, because the Air Force was used to working with jets, which are much mm -hmm. faster and can get there. If they're behind, they just punch the afterburner and get there a little bit faster. Um, yeah. You know, and you've got a big old lumbering B-17 airplane out there. It takes a little bit more timing because you, you just yep. can't speed it up and fly downhill, you know. So it's uh, <laughs> it, and yeah. so we're out there um, and doing that and you know, getting some of those photos and going, you know, this is cool. This is <laughs> this is yeah. so much fun to use the airplane uh, for this kind of opportunity, you know, and and those type of things. Uh, uh, every pilot who's out there always has those stories. Uh, that mm -hmm. make it something that becomes how this gets in your blood. And it does. It, it really, really does. That it's an opportunity that we get to do things that very few people get to do. And it's because we took the time and effort and the expense and everything else to go learn to fly. And now mm -hmm. we have that freedom. You know, and Harrison Ford has often remarked on this saying, uh, flying is a great mix of unknown freedom, unlimited freedom and unlimited responsibility because yeah. you accept that responsibility with that freedom to go fly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's definitely like, I remind myself every time, you know, I get into the B 25 or on a young Eagles flight or whatever, you know, this is just really, really cool. <laughs> um, it is. It's, it's really awesome. Yeah. Well, you think about it and you can take this machine and you yourself can lift it off the ground, go someplace, set it on the ground, and you can do that again and again and again. And mm. uh, Paul Polberezny, our founder, used to say, you know, until the early 1900s, for 10,000 years before that, man always wanted to fly like the birds. And we've only been able to do that for about 120 years. And you yeah. think about that, in all of human history, we've just been part of this little bitty sliver of time where we've been able to do that. And, you know, we, we ought to revel in that and celebrate that as much as we can. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So starting to sort of wrap this up here, um, looking back across your career, would there be one piece of advice that you could go back and tell yourself when you were just starting out? Yeah. Um, probably the thing I would say, and that's such a broad question. I could probably come up with a different answer every day for you on that, but mm -hmm. it's, um, I would say, first thing I'd say is shut up and listen. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to interject into a conversation, but to hear what people are saying and what they're trying to communicate and how you can help them, uh, 
I have found has been a, a most valuable skill uh, just to kind of listen to what they want. Uh, number two would be, if you have a dream, go get it. Uh, you know, we're, we're all on this little earth too short of a time to say, boy, I wish I would have done that. And flying is part of that. Go, go find a way to do it. There are a lot of people out there who want to help people who earnestly want to go learn to fly or be a part of aviation. And, you know, if you come in with a sense of humility, a sense of gratitude and a sense of determination that you want to be a part of this, uh, you can succeed. And so that would probably be the short advice I'd have for anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, the shut up and listen part, I've definitely sort of learned the hard way over the last couple of years. But well, we, we all get to learn that one. You know, you get wisdom from experience. You get experience from doing dumb things sometimes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. So sort of the final question here that people have a lot of fun with. If you had a time traveling device, an unlimited budget and a huge free hanger, what three <laughs> air, what three aircraft would you buy and why? Uh, probably first, the first one I'd probably buy, and this sounds odd, but I'd probably buy the Cherokee 140 I learned to fly in. And for no other reason than I learned to fly in it. That plane means so much because it's the one that you took your solo in. It's the one you earned your certificate in that it, it's just a fun little airplane. And it's, I always tell people it's pr practically indestructible because it had survived my landings during student training. So it's, <laughs> um, it's a good thing. Um, a P-38 Lightning. I've always yeah. loved that airplane from the time that my dad showed me his coloring books from World War II when he was just a young boy. It's just, it didn't look like any other airplane out there. It was so unique. It was fast. It was sleek. It was everything. And we've got one in the museum. And it's just, I, I would you know buy that right away. And that's the zooming around airplane for mm -hmm. Um the third one, I don't know. You know, there are so many out there that would be fun to have. Everything from, you know, a, a G5 jet, just so you could get places really fast, to a yeah. Piper Cub, to just get places really slow. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and those type of things. Um, you know, it, it may probably something that I could take some people with me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that would be something, anything from a DC-3 to a Bonanza to that aforementioned G-5. Um, that because aviation, you want to share it with people. You want to show how much fun this is. And while the P-38 is a heck of a lot of fun, well, you're there by yourself. And um, But yeah. it is um, something that you want to share. So something that had enough seats in it that you could take two or three people along and a weekend's worth of baggage and just say, Let's go have some fun. Let's go land over there and just have some fun for a weekend. Yeah. Yeah. The variety of answers that I've gotten across asking that question is just, it's just really fun to listen to <laughs> most, most people. And what doesn't surprise me about your answer is a lot of people will take some twin engine, you know, airplane, like you mentioned, um, like a chair, an equivalent of a Cherokee 140. I had one guy on who wanted like a Piper Archer series. Okay. Yeah. And then every, everybody always wants a Warbird fighter. That's just like P38 oh, yeah. Corsair. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you want to get one so you can wear the leather jacket and the scarf and go 
why, yes, I am a pilot, you know, the, yeah. that type of moment. Yeah. But it, it is. I, I think something captures, and one thing about aviation, usually there's an airplane that captures not only your eye, but your heart as well. And, and that's mm-hmm. um, those are the ones you that always hang with you. Yep. Yeah. So starting to wrap this up here, is there anything that I haven't gone over that you think we should talk about or that you wanted to include? Well, a couple things I want to let people know coming up for EAA is something that we're starting to do. Uh, we've got a whole new addition coming to the museum that's going to be opening up this spring. So if you get into Oshkosh or you're here for Air Venture, come on out and stop and see it. Uh, Project 21 is the, the working name for it, but it's 30,000 square feet. Uh, level one is a pilot proficiency center with Redbird simulators that EA chapters, type clubs, pilots can come in, work on their skills in, a, in simulators. And then the upper floor is going to be our new youth education center, 15,000 square feet, lots of hands-on. We've got a wind tunnel from Embry-Riddle, all of that going on. So that's part of it. Um, we also have something new coming up called Aero Educate, an online uh, youth education uh, process that builds onto the Young Eagles flight that uh, gives kids an opportunity to build their own skills, to be a part of aviation in a lot of different ways, depending on what age group you're in. And we've got some people such as United and Siemens and Airbus who are working with us on that. And that's going to be all online. It's going to be very exciting. And it's a way for local people uh, to get young people involved in aviation. And mm-hmm. uh, we're looking forward to seeing that. And of course, Air Venture. Tickets are on sale now, ea.org, July 25th through the 31st. And there's the quick plug. Hope to see everybody on the flight line at Oshkosh. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime. You know, we can talk about airplanes for a long, long time. So we're just getting started. You've been listening to the Aeronaut Podcast. Please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe, and we'll be back in 10 days with another great interview. So long.